This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, today we're going to bring together a couple of threads. One thread is that this is the Feast of Epiphany that we're celebrating. And if you listened in the epistle reading, you heard the, story, or the word mystery repeated several times, which is a code word meaning a chief truth, something important. And the chief truth that we celebrate on the Feast of Epiphany is that in Jesus Christ, God has brought together Jew and Gentile, those whom in the epistle Paul earlier called alienated from one another, separated from one another with an insurmountable barrier between them that in the cross Jesus destroyed, bringing together Jew and Gentile, making the two becoming one, using language even that we use of marriage, where a man and woman come together to become one, Paul is saying now these two, Jew and Gentile, have become one. This is further represented in the story of the Magi, who more than wise men were actually kings of a sort. And as kings, they sought for the Christ child, the king of the Jews, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 60 that kings of the earth and of the nations would flood to Jerusalem and to Zion and bring the glory of the nations and lay them at the Messiah of Israel, owning him as their own king and the king of the whole world. Also, we bring together this thread that it is a new year. And that you and I sit here at the end of a hard year wondering what's in store for the year to come. What's the plan? And so all these threads come together in this truth that we're going to discover and talk about today, that God has a plan. He is at work in the world accomplishing His purposes and fulfilling His plan. So again, in Ephesians earlier in the first chapter, Paul calls it a plan for the fullness of time. It was hidden in ages, he said. Ages past, the men of other generations did not know it, but it was hidden in God. He had it in his mind all along, hidden in God for ages, but now at this moment being unfurled and unfolded, at this moment of revelation and of epiphany, now the world is seeing what God had in mind in its store all along. And that in this tectonic seismic shift of Jew and Gentile becoming one, Paul is saying, did you catch it in verse 10 of chapter 3, that through the church being displayed is the manifold wisdom of God that even celestial beings, powers in the heavens, are looking on and gazing with wonder. They're seeing something new. And by the way, if you want to open to Ephesians, we'll be working mostly um, through the epistle of Ephesians today and referencing our Magi story along the way, but open to Ephesians. So Paul says, a plan for the fullness of time, a plan, cosmic, and yes, with the Magi, God had a plan for these Magi, a purpose for them. But it was their diligent searching also, right? Their searching, their journey, their grit, that together with God's plans, His sovereign plans, accomplished the purposes in that moment to bring about the fulfillment of His plan. And that final thread of you and me, us here today at the beginning of a new year, there is a plan. 
Every life is a story, and that story is within a greater story, and every story matters. God is at work in the world today still, accomplishing his purposes, fulfilling and bringing to fulfillment that plan, but he's doing it, as Paul said, through you and me, through the church, that now our story and every story piled together, that's how God does it. Through the accumulation of our lives, he unfurls and unfolds the plan for the ages. God has a plan. And he's at work in the world, accomplishing his purposes and fulfilling that plan. Of all the arts, uh, I would say that I'm most partial to music. You may know that I am a a trumpeter by training. Uh, One of the wonderful things about being married to Julie is we can share that love of music. But another thing that's wonderful about being married to Julie is where I did not prior have much of an appreciation or understanding for the visual arts, She brought that into my life as well and has enriched me greatly. Um, And it was a trip that we were able to make, trip of a lifetime, several years ago, uh, over 10 years ago. I think the year was 1 or 2 BC, um, before children. We were able to go to Italy. And there we saw a lot of art. And there I discovered what I would still say today is my favorite piece of visual art. And it's Michelangelo's Pieta. And you might think, well, why not David, Brett? Michelangelo's David, since you have so much resemblance with him. <laughs> Thank you, that, that was a joke. I don't actually believe that. No, but it was, it's the Pieta, and the scene of the Pieta is Mary, the mother of our Lord, holding the limp, dead body of her son after he has just been taken down from the cross. And I'm not the right person to explain to you or tell you why this is a masterpiece of Michelangelo. I can't tell you why. I just know that it was one of the most beautiful things that I'd ever seen, and it moved me deeply. And as we were on that trip before and after, we were reading about Michelangelo. And one of the interesting things about Michelangelo is he believed, he never came to a block of stone with his idea already, the blueprint fully finished. He said, no, 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 inside that stone, the statue's already there. I'm not bringing the statue to the stone. I'm actually discovering it. I'm releasing it from the stone. So here's a quote from Michelangelo. Every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of a sculptor to discover it. The task of the sculptor to set that statue free But he's very clear, it's in there already. And it reminds me of this proverb near the beginning of the 25th chapter of the book of Proverbs. It said, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And today on a day of kings and searching, and we who are a royal priesthood, we are the kings searching out the things that God has concealed. Yes, sometimes His plans and purposes feel concealed within a stone to us, but it is our glory and our part, like the wise men, to diligently search it out, find out what's in that stone. And so, as Michelangelo said that every stone has a statue in it, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it, so I would say every life has a purpose. Your life has a purpose, and it's your job, your task to discover it. God has a plan. 
He's at work in the world, and he wants you to be actively searching for that plan and discovering what it is that he has in store for you. Now, often, like that statue concealed in the stone, God's plans and purposes for us feel hidden, don't they? Hard to see, hard to know, hard to discern. There are moments of hiddenness. Yes, moments of revelation, but there are moments of hiddenness. I mean, when has God ever said to you or to anyone else, look, here's A, here's Z, and here's everything in between. When has he ever done that for us? He doesn't work that way. And yet we expect him to, don't we? And we get mad when he doesn't do that. Reveal the whole plan. No, that's not his way. Because he wants to know, will you search diligently to find it out? Will you come to that stone like a sculptor and find the statue within, discover God's purpose and plan for your life? Will you search it out like those magi? So first we're going to talk about God's plan, believing that he has one, which is sometimes hard to do, right? After that, we'll talk about what it means to begin to search out that plan, to take that chisel to the stone and discover God's plan for your life. So first, God has a plan. And we begin by believing that he has a plan, even and especially when it does feel concealed, hard for us to see. He has a plan for the world. He has a cosmic plan. That's part of what we're talking about today. He has a plan for the world. He has a plan also for you and your individual life because God is personal. So look now, if you're open to Ephesians, bump over to the first chapter. See that God has a plan for the world. We'll pick up in the middle of a sentence at verse 9 of chapter 1. Paul is saying that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So did you notice the words will, purpose, plan? God is intentional. Our existence is not random. History is not random. There's a cosmic plan. And what does Paul say? It is centered on Christ. And it is the Father who is doing everything, working in these purposes to exalt the name of his beloved Son, Jesus. And so turn over now to chapter 3, verse 11, what was read for us today. And after Paul is explaining the, the union of Jew and Gentile and the significance of it, verse 11, he says, all this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is an eternal purpose, something that was there in the mind of God even before creation, but now at this moment, at the coming of Christ, is being unfurled and unfolded for all the world to see and know. It's being realized in Jesus. He is the center and the focus of it. So God has a plan for the world. God also has a plan for you, individually, your life. A plan within a plan. A plan for you within his plan, his cosmic plan for the world and for all of history. Now, sometimes we resist this notion. Perhaps because you've heard it before and feel somewhat stale. Well, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that. Except preach it again. And pray for the Holy Spirit to bring it fresh. Sometimes, however, I think the reason we resist this idea is we're afraid 
that it'll become conceited or will become conceited and narcissistic and somehow taking all of our spiritual life and manipulating it so that God's purposes are all about me and making me feel special and fulfilling me, making me happy. And we're afraid of that. I don't want to be conceited. I don't want it to be all about me. And I think there is a true danger there. Yes, I've done it. You've probably done it before, manipulated our way of thinking about our spirituality to make it all about us and and not much more. And that is an error to be avoided, but we have to be careful that in correcting that error, we don't overcorrect. And you know, you've done this, the error on the other side, if you have the thought or the feeling, well, I, I wonder, does God really have a plan for my life? Little old me, probably not. In the grand scheme of things, does God really have a plan for me? Wouldn't that be a bit narcissistic to assume that? And what I want to say to you is, well, that's an error too. And both errors are to be avoided. Because God does have a plan for your life. And let me just ask you this. Is that too hard for God? Is that too hard for him to have cosmic purposes and a plan for the history and all the world and to also have a plan for your life and be weaving together the stories of our lives in such a way that by the accumulation of our individual lives, he's accomplishing his purposes in the world and history? Is that too hard for God? The answer is no. That is not too hard for God. Think of the Magi, for example. As we know, in hindsight... Their journey to find this wonderful thing, this king who had been born, this historic event, their journey was part, an episode in in the cosmic plan. They had no idea as they were journeying to Jerusalem that we'd be reading about it 2,000 years later. It was part of a cosmic plan. It was a fulfillment of that Isaiah 60 prophecy that the kings of the nations would stream to the Holy Land and lay their treasures at the feet of the Messiah of Israel. But at the same time, while this cosmic plan was being moved forward to the next step, there was also a micro plan. Something on a smaller scale was at work. God was using the Magi and connecting and linking up their story in his sovereign way with the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. Because right after this, you remember what happens, they have to flee. Herod's going to try to kill the baby Jesus. But they flee without a penny to their name, empty pockets, except for the provision that the Magi bring. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh to last them the years of sojourning in Egypt. That was God's plan. And he connected up what he was doing in the lives of the Magi to bless and move along the story of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And yes, it's all part of the cosmic plan. And yes, through all of this, no doubt those Magi were experiencing a deep personal joy and a satisfaction. For they were finding and receiving the deep desire of their hearts. They had found what they were searching for in the Christ child. And so now look in Ephesians to chapter 2, verse 10. This is right after those famous verses where Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved. It's not the works that you've done. It's the gift of God, the free gift. But then he goes on to say, verse 10, for we are God's works. We're his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You hear there was a plan from beforehand. A long time ago, God had a plan for your life. He had good works 
that you alone were going to do and accomplish and fulfill. And he had it so that now in this time, when you come to that stone and you begin to chisel away, you discover what are those good works that God has prepared for you to do. And in doing them, do your part to fulfill his purposes and accomplish his plan in the greater world. Prepared in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's a reason you're here. God made you for a reason. There are people in your life that he has given you to love and to serve. There are people in your life that you will come to know that you will love and you will serve in a unique way that only you can do. That only you are positioned to do exactly as you are to do. What a privilege. I had a friend some years ago. He was a young man and he was hanging around after a service was talking to an older man who was a mentor and a friend in his life. And he explained to the older man, my wife and I just found out that she's pregnant and we're terrified. It's too soon. This was not our plan. And the old man looked at him and he said, this is wonderful news. You've been given one of the greatest gifts that a person can receive. And I know it's not in your plan and all things may not be to your liking. And then with the word of admonition, he said, but I I encourage you to open your heart. You must open your heart to this child and welcome this child in your heart because there's no one who's going to love and take care of this child like you and your wife. There's no one in this world that's going to have more influence over that child. God chose you for this task because he trusted you, and it's up to you. And it may not be the plan that you had in mind, but will you still believe, he said, that God has a plan in this and that it is good. That conversation was a game changer for my friend. Or perhaps you were one of those who you're waiting for that spouse to come along and still waiting. You're waiting for that incredible gift of a child and still waiting. And the question for you is the same. Would you also believe that God has a plan for you that it is good, and it's not plan B. It's God's plan for you. And that if you walk in his plan and submit your life to him, there will be depth and fullness and joy alongside of suffering. Believing that God has a plan and a purpose, that is sometimes hard. Like that statue when it is yet concealed in the stone block of marble before the chisel has, the chisel has been set to it. So too, God's plan and purpose is not always clear. In fact, I would say rarely it is, which is why it is so important for us to trust him, to trust in his goodness for us, to believe that there is a plan, it is good, as Paul says in Romans, for all things work together for good for those who love God and trust in him. And I know that that's a verse that Many of you have probably heard many times before, but it doesn't matter if that's the hundredth time that you've heard that. What matters is, do you believe it? That God is working all things, all things, everything in your life that happens for good, for your own good, and also the good of those around you. And if that is hard for you to believe, will you choose to believe it? Will you say, I believe that even though I can't see it? That is most important when sometimes we feel 
as if we've taken a wrong turn. Or sometimes we feel that the path that we're on is leading to a dead end or to a bad end. Or we're just confused because the path doesn't make sense. And I want to say to you, if you are following Jesus, there is no wrong turn. Shall we be bold enough to believe that Paul said all things, not most things, all things are being worked together for good? Shall we be bold enough to believe that? And so in Jesus Christ, there is no wrong turn. There is no dead end. There is no bad end though there is sometimes confusion. He does not spare us that. But he asks for us, even in the confusion, will you trust that there is goodness and a good end in store? And if you're not following Jesus, I can't make the same guarantee. In fact, I would have to make almost the opposite, that if you're not following Jesus, it would almost be impossible for you to come to a good end. So if that is the case, I encourage you. Uh, The choice is is obvious. Follow Jesus. Though if you do, I fair warning ahead of time, as we're learning today, even in following Jesus, there are seasons of hiddenness, aren't there? Of not knowing the plan, of not seeing it, of that concealment in the stone. Yes, seasons of revelation, but seasons of hiddenness too. And so Paul, in the fifth verse of chapter 3, he says, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it now is being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Or again in verse 9, my task, Paul is saying, is to bring to light epiphany, revelation, to bring to light for everyone what is that plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. So if God in the macro is a God who sometimes conceals things, and it's the glory of God to conceal things. So true it is in the, in the micro. In your life, in my life, there will be times where he will conceal things, and it is the glory of his people to search it out, to take that chisel to the stone and say, all right, I trust that there's a plan in there. I'm going to find out what it is. Consider again the Magi. You know, at first they were following this supernatural wonder, a star in the heavens, But where did it lead them? Did it lead them to Bethlehem? No, it didn't. It led them to Jerusalem. They followed the star and they came to Jerusalem, which was the logical place to go. They're looking for the king of the Jews, born probably in the king's house. But when they show up, Herod is surprised. And the Magi are surprised that he's surprised. How could you not know? The greatest historical event in your lifetime has happened under your nose and you don't know about it. No, Herod didn't know about it, nor all of Jerusalem, because they were not diligently searching. They were not seeking for God's plan for their lives. And so they missed it. But for the Magi, this must have been a confusing moment. Here they are in Jerusalem. We followed the star. And if you look closely at the story, the star at this point seems to go AWOL. It's either gone out of the sky or its relevance has absented from the story because the star is not leading them anymore. And in a great ironic twist, who leads them next? How do they get to Bethlehem? It's the bad guy. Herod tells them, go to Bethlehem. Yes, through the prophets. He's guided by the prophets. That is important. But that's also how it happens sometimes, where the next 
phase, the next step is revealed to us in ways we would not have expected. And you would only find it if you have that open, searching, and diligent heart, ready for anything. So first, the Magi, they're following the star, combined with their own training and experience, and yes, sheer grit. They follow the star to Jerusalem. But then, after that, what is it? It's the word of God in the mouth of a morally bankrupt monarch. After that, it's the star again. Then it's a dream. And I would bet that in between and along the way, ample amounts of silence. Long periods where they weren't sure what the plan was or what to do, but only to trust and to say, you know what, I I think God has a plan in all of this. So we're just going to keep searching diligently until that plan is known and accomplished. And like the Magi, it's as we search and while we are searching that the revelation comes. So if you've given up the search, no more revel- do, do not expect revelation to come. If you're not following the Lord Jesus with everything you've got, do not expect revelation to come. But instead, today's your chance to say, it's a new year. I am following Jesus with everything I've got because I know that while I'm searching, the answers will come. While I'm on the road, the path will be made clear and the next step and the revelation will be given. Like the old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way. We trust that God has a plan. We seek to obey him even when we don't fully know the plan. And it's in so doing that the plan becomes clear. But you can't steer a parked car. Car's got to be in motion to be able to move it. You've got to be seeking to obey God and to follow Jesus with all that you have. So today, this morning, where are you at? Perhaps it's time to remember that God has a plan for your life and that it's a good one. And yes, that it is part of a bigger plan, and it matters very much that you search diligently and seek it out, that you take that chisel to the stone. Earlier, Michelangelo told us that every stone has what inside? A statue. And I said, every life has a purpose, a plan. And now as we come to the end, Let us remember this, that the ultimate purpose of every life, every life, our ultimate purpose is to worship God, to love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and all of our strength, to worship Him, even as the Magi did. It's what they did when they came to Jesus and they found Him at last. They laid their treasures at His feet and they worshiped Him. And just like the Magi, the true goal and end of all our searching is nothing less than the Lord Jesus himself. He we are seeking above all else. And when we worship him, and when you lay your treasures down and indeed your whole life down in submissive reverence at his feet, that's when everything else is going to click in place. That's when the traction will come at that place of full surrender and submission. And you know, 
He is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy because he, too, followed his Father's plan. It was a plan for the fullness of time, and he followed it unwavering and perfect to the end, even though it was a hard end. He is worthy to be worshipped because he, too, made a diligent search. But he was searching for you and for me. He was searching for us. He came to find us. And the reason that you can search diligently for him is because he first came and diligently sought for you. And you can worship Jesus. He is worthy because he, too, laid a great treasure down at the feet of his Father. When he said to his father, all right, if by my blood and my life I can purchase the world and save it, I give it. And that's why he came. And that's why we seek him today. Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.